Hello and welcome everyone to the newest episode of Kicking Grass. I am your host, David Walding. Señor Lobo, Lobo. Lobo, Lobo. Soluciono problemas. I know it's been a little while since our last program. I just wanted to get back on the airwaves with what I'm calling the quickie episode. You may be able to tell, um, hopefully not too much, but I actually lost my voice a couple of weeks back and haven't been able to talk hardly at all. So this is the first time I'm getting back on the air with you guys on the podcast. No co-host today. I am flying solo and given the voice and technical issues I've been having and the lack of a co-host for today's episode, I'm going to just make this one short and simple. I want to start today with a shout out to Harry Austin, and we're going to cover a little bit of San Antonio FC. San Antonio is currently sitting first in the Western Conference of USL Championship, and they're pretty much running away with it. The East is kind of set for the playoff run, but who cares about the East, right? We're going to talk about the West. The Western Conference has San Antonio FC as the first team qualified for the playoffs. They're sitting in first place, 67 points after a 1-0 scintillating victory. Not really, but it was a penalty kick and it was a victory and they pulled it out. And so they're sitting first in the Western Conference and looking really good. They're first in the entire USL championship. They've been playing some really good soccer as well. The rest of the Western Conference is really interesting because no one has yet been eliminated from the playoff race, technically speaking, mathematically speaking. San Antonio FC's got that number one pretty much on lockdown. Everybody else is still fighting numbers two through 14 to try to get into that top seven so they can be playoff spot. I think that San Antonio must be, at this point, the odds-on favorite to walk away with the USL Championship trophy this year. It's been a long time coming. I'm not sure many people saw it coming this year. I knew they would be a really good team. I didn't know they would be as good as they've been. But hopefully we'll have Harry Austin on one of these days and we'll talk some USL Championship and get his thoughts and observations on the San Antonio FC season so far, maybe for the playoff run. Speaking about USL Championship, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Sac Republic and their great run in the U.S. Open Cup. I haven't come to you since the U.S. Open Cup final in Orlando. Orlando ended up taking that one 3-0. However, that first half and beginning of the second half was really close. It's been a long time. I think Rochester Rhinos were the last non-MLS team in the U.S. Open Cup final. I can't recall right off the top of my head, if the Seattle Sounders ever made that run to the final. Um, But I know Rochester Rhinos back in the day. But in the modern era, what the Sac Republic accomplished this season in the U.S. Open Cup was pretty spectacular. They did a great job. Shout out to them. I think they had Orlando pretty nervous. uh, But once the dam broke, the talent disparity kind of took over, and Orlando was able to come out of that with a 3-0 victory hoisting their trophy. And I just want to congratulate Oscar Pereja on that. That's He's done a great job on the tournament setting, and I'm a real big fan of him as a coach, and I think he's done a great job with Orlando City this season. 
and congratulations on the U.S. Open Cup victory. The NISA season is progressing pretty nicely as well. Um, NISA throws me off somewhat because of the unbalanced schedule. There are teams that have played 21 games so far. There's other teams that have played like 14, 15 games. It's coming down at this point to a battle between Cal United Strikers. They're sitting with 36 points on 16 games. If you look at the NISA standings, they do organize by points per game, as well as just the overall point total, because there's so much disparity in how many games each team has played in the season so far. It'll even out toward the end, but Cal United on 36 points, they have the best point per game ratio. Chattanooga FC has got 40 points. They've played 21 matches, however, so... Cal United is sitting there with five games in hand right now and only four points behind. So you've got to say Cal United is probably the favorite at this point of the season. Chattanooga's right there with them. There's an outside shot with Michigan Stars as well. The Michigan Stars FC have 28 points and 18 games played. So they're falling a bit behind, but it's coming down to probably one of those three teams. I think betting men would have to go with Cal United right now, though, although I'm not going to count Chattanooga out of it as of yet. There's a little bit still left to go in the season, so they've got about a month left in the NISA season, and we'll see which one of them pulls out in front. Speaking of NISA, as most of you know, the Central Texas Lobos play in the Gulf Coast Premier League, which is a NISA Nation affiliate league. They dropped some great news this week about the Alliance of Regional Premier Leagues, which is a voluntary association among the highest level amateur soccer leagues in the United States. They're going to be creating joint minimum standards for all of the Premier League members around the country. I believe they started out with eight current regional leagues. And they've applied for a National Amateur League Champion Tournament via U.S. Soccer. So we'll see how that pans out. Hopefully um, we can have somebody on. Maybe Jonathan will join us, Jonathan Rednor, and talk about the Alliance of Regional Premier Leagues and everything else that's going on with the Gulf Coast Premier League and Neeson Nation since he came on board. In other Lobos-related news, I wanted to let everyone know that the Warrior Soccer Tournament is coming to the Lobos field through the Lobos Youth Academy. We'll host a 3v3 Texas Spookout on October 15. This is a juvenile 3v3 tournament, one day only, October 15th, ages 5 up through high school. Your team does not have to be affiliated with a local club. Just get together four or five kids of the same age group, and you can register online. So if you're interested in putting a team into the October 15th tournament, here in South Austin, 3v3 and the Warrior Soccer Tournament Tour. Just go online. You can look at Facebook or Twitter, any of the social media accounts for CT Lobos Youth Academy. And we'll have information about the Texas Bookout on October 15th. Register today. Now I'd like to move on to some talk about Major League Soccer and Austin FC in particular. Last week we saw a couple of games here in Austin. The first was a midweek game with Austin FC taking on RSL. And then on the weekend, we got a rematch of Austin FC versus Nashville. Hani Mukhtar against 
Sebastian Driussi. But I want to go back to that midweek matchup, which was a victory for Austin FC here at home. Long time in coming. It came off that five-game stretch that I was really worried about where we went one and four. Our one victory, interestingly enough, came against LAFC, which was the one probably most people didn't expect to see. And it set up a really important week for Austin FC. So we get to that Wednesday game. I took our center back from Central Texas Lobos, Kenny Ramirez, to see the game with me. First half was 0-0. It was kind of, uh, actually, RSL probably held their own, maybe even had a little bit better of the play in that first half. It was getting a little bit tense in the stadium. Uh, Second half, early on in the second half, there was a triple substitution for Austin FC, and Musa Jite came on for Maxi Arruti. As soon as the sub happened, Kenny turned to me and said, oh, he's going to score two or three goals today. Two minutes later, this happened. Characters as well. But here's Fagundes. In towards Jite! Yes! Just like that! Musa Jite is back! And all the way onto the score sheet. And this moment was prime for Musa Jite. He makes that early run, shows the impetus to get across the face of Jonathan Kapahov. Justin Glad gets committed to Sebastian Driussi, and that opens up the gap for Jite to exploit. Diego Fagundes outside the booth, that look over his shoulder. Just a class pass, and an even better finish for Musa Jite inside the foot. Zach McMath doesn't come off his line aggressively, and Moose says thank you very much. Fagundes with it. You see the target, it's Finlay, Ethan Finlay, back off the bar, and Jite! A new hero being reborn in our state at Q2. It's double the delight, double the Musa, Musa Jite that is. Musa just reacts quicker, look at the technique. He's stunting, he's strutting his stuff after that finish, and rightfully so. A confident finish, Ethan Finley, quality technique to get over the ball, not leaning back. But Musa Jite ups it one more. This is a class volley. Drops his shoulder, knows that he, he gets it down in the ground. That ball's going in to the back of the net. Got plenty of running left in him. It's four against three here. Gabrielson has Fagundes open. Driussi trying to stay onside. It's Gabrielson who leaves it. Jite on a hat trick. He's done it! First hat-trick in Austin history, and it's Musa Jite who has claimed it. The Norwegian struts forward in this dummy run. The vision, it's a bit fortunate with the bounce, but looking like a striker with the awareness, knowing that Musa Jite is there, and Jite is not going to miss that. That first touch forces Zach McMath off his line, and when the goalkeeper comes out and is indecisive like that, it's always to the striker's advantage. History is made. Musa Jite is made. That was ESPN on the call. But I want to get a little bit into this game because 
I take a little bit of issue with what they were talking about with Musa Jite as being the forgotten player. I don't think anybody here in Austin has forgotten about him. I surely haven't. I think perhaps the coach has forgotten about him a little bit during the season. I, a lot of people are have been clamoring for Jite to get more minutes and get some more time. There's also been a lot of media clamor about how he's looked so completely different in this game than he's ever looked before with Austin FC, and I absolutely disagree with that as well. That was Musajite. That's the way he plays. He's looked dangerous almost every time he stepped on the field for Austin FC. The big difference in this game for Musajite, excellent job by the way, is that he was subbed into a game that was 0-0 at around the 63rd minute, I think it was. He got a good 35 to 40 minutes of playing time. He was playing with some of the starting players, and then he got the early goal. So I think just bringing him into a game where he was going to get 35 or 40 minutes in that situation in a tie game with a lot of the starting support cast around him is what made the difference. But that is Musajite. That's how he plays. He's different than Maxi Ruti, but he brings that every time he steps on the field. And that's why a lot of the fans, myself included, don't understand exactly why he's not gotten more minutes in 2022. And I think a lot of us who followed Musajite expected that type of performance from him when he got the opportunity. What's been happening is, with the exception of one start that he was able to make, which is the game that he did not look as good as he normally does, the rest of the time he's been subbed on very late into games, maybe... 8, 10 minutes to go, 15 minutes to go in a game, sometimes less than that. And usually when other subs have already been made and the game is, generally speaking, already decided one way or the other. We're either losing and the other team is packed in their defense, so that makes it really hard for a player like Musa Jite. Or we're so far ahead that Austin FC is not attacking and not utilizing their forward. So I think just the game scenario, the situation he was put into, is what made the difference. But that's exactly what I've seen from Musa Jite when I've seen him step on the field. And I'm so happy for him. I know he's had a rough season. I know he's had some personal issues as well. There's an article in The Striker about that. And I'm just so happy for him that he got that. He was named the MLS Player of the Week and it was just really well-deserved. I hope we see more of Musa Jite. It's late in the season to be making a lot of wholesale changes as part of the issue, but I do think Musa Jite has shown what he can do and why he deserves playing time in a spot on this roster. The other thing that happened is that Julio Cascante was rested, and Romagna came into the game, and... At one point, Kenny turned to me and said, what is Gabrielson doing all the way up the field? If you notice on Jite's third goal, it's actually Gabrielson that gives a run. He's inside the penalty spot, gives a little flick on, back heel, almost let it run dummy for the ball to get to Musa Jite for him to score. And throughout most of that game, Kenny was asking me, why is Gabrielson so far into the attack as a center back? And my answer was basically because Cascante's not on there. So in the system that Wolf plays, he wants to have both fullbacks and one of the center backs push forward. So you're leaving one 
defender, one center back almost always in the back to cover it. Well, when Cascante's in there, Cascante is the one who makes those pushes into the attack for Austin FC. But when he's not in there and Romagna's on the field, Romagna's a little bit too slow. That's his weakness, is lack of speed. He's a really good defender, but he's not the fastest defender on the team. So Romagna is generally left in that back position when everybody else pushes up, and that gives Gabrielson the freedom to move forward and in Wolf's system the almost the obligation to push forward into the attack because that's what he wants from one of the center backs. And if it's not Romagna, it's going to be Gabrielson. Um, again, I thought he did a really great job in that role, however. I thought that was good to see. I'm not sure that I agree with the strategy as a general rule. But you could see that's what was happening was Gabrielson was pushing up kind of in the role that Cascante usually played in the in those games. Uh, against Nashville as well, that was happening. So Austin takes that game 3-0 over RSL with the first ever hat trick in Austin FC history by Musa Jite. Which then brought us to the weekend in the game against Nashville, the rematch of that terrible performance they had up in Nashville just a couple of weeks ago. This was a highly rotated squad where Jite got the start as well as Gabrielson and Romagna getting the start back there. Also, Rigoni started out on the right wing. And kind of what I was talking about with the center backs pushing up and leaving one back, what you saw on the first goal. So it was a scoreless game at halftime, 0-0. Nashville was able to strike first on a counter transition goal from a Austin set piece play, basically. So... As I said, Wolf likes to have everyone pushed up with only one defender back. He had pushed up Romagna in this scenario. I can't remember why, but I think it was for uh, a header to try to get a header on the ball. And in that case, he left Gallagher back, who had started as left back. Now, that's not a bad idea because you've got Hani Mukhtar on the field. You've got Gallagher as our fastest defender in that line so leaving him back in the case of a one-on-one with Hani Mukhtar is not a terrible idea if you're going to push everybody else up but you saw kind of the reason I don't necessarily like that is what happened is Nashville cleared the ball out it fell right in the path of Hani Mukhtar and then you do have that one-on-one scenario with probably the MVP of the league I would give it to Driussi myself but Hani Mukhtar looks like he's out front in the MVP race. You leave him with Gallagher one-on-one. So what happens is Gallagher is fast enough to catch him, but Hani Mukhtar gets into the box. Gallagher goes to ground and takes him down. Well, Mukhtar feels the contact, goes to ground as well, and penalty in favor of Nashville. At the time, I was at the opposite end of the stadium. I was cheering on from Section 234. It was at the opposite end of the stadium, but it did look to me like a valid penalty call. A lot of people have complained about the PK. I looked at the replay a few times, and I don't see anything in the replay that tells me that the referee definitively got it wrong. So people were asking, why not 
VAR in that scenario or something like that. I don't think anything in VAR would have changed the outcome. Maybe it was a soft PK. Maybe he did not take him down in a malicious or dirty or hard tackle or anything like that. But he definitely makes contact in the box. Mukhtar goes to ground. And it's a penalty kick, so 1-0. I don't blame Gallagher either because that was kind of the bad situation he was put in. I would prefer if he would make that challenge outside the box. Or once they got into the box, just try to hold him off and throw him off balance and not go to ground. I think it was going to ground, which gave the opening for the penalty kick. But again, he's not a center back. He's going against the league MVP. All things considered, I don't have a big problem with either the call or the play in general. I would just prefer us not to always leave one-on-one in that scenario. And sometimes the other team will even throw two or three attackers and you've got one-on-two or one-on-three. But that's a product of the system and the way we play. Fortunately for Austin FC, we have Sebastian Driussi on our team. Scores an absolutely amazing goal a few minutes later where he takes the ball down opposite side of the of the goal. Very tight angle. He brings it down with that first touch. It's like it's stuck to his feet, stuck to the ground. Then he skies it into the roof of the goal. It was a brilliant goal. It looks weird on first glance, but it's a great play. A lot of skill went into that shot. Tied up the game, 1-1. That would be your final. The one point with a highly rotated squad, I might add. Driussi did start the game and played that entire game, but he was one of the starters that made that appearance, but most others got rested until the second half. So Ruti was rested in favor of Gite, which is hard to argue with after his performance against RSL. But also I think... Maxi's been a little bit banged up and needed probably a break and some rest, and that was good for him to get a little bit of time to rest up this game. Diego Fagundes got to rest. Uh, Cascante was not starting. There were a lot of our normal starters that were rotated out, but the people who came in on the field, I thought Romagna had a great game. I thought Valencia played very well. Um, Gite was good as well. The ones who got their opportunity really took advantage of it in this game. And while you don't want to go overboard celebrating a 1-1 draw at home, Nashville is a really good team, and they are playing really well. We were playing on a short week, four days, and the draw was good enough to clinch playoff spot and a home playoff game. It basically would take a minor miracle for us not to have the number two seed in the Western Conference. One point in the last two games would definitively give Austin the number two seed. Or as I said, it would be a minor miracle for Dallas, I think is the one that has the... Dallas is in third place, so they're the ones that have the shot at surpassing Austin FC. Austin has the tiebreaker and are five points up. So it would require Austin to lose both of the final two games outright and Dallas to win both of their final games outright to be one point ahead of Austin in the standings to take the number two seed away from Austin. 
So I don't want to count the chickens before they're hatched, as they say, but it's looking pretty good that Austin FC will be that number two seed in the Western Conference, which is a big accomplishment for this team. I mentioned FC Dallas, who's been playing really well, and I think if you go back to one of the previous casts, you'll see, you'll see that I was high on Dallas as being that number three seed. Dallas is a very dangerous team right now, and they seem to have that number three seed. Again, it's not totally locked up at this point, but they're getting pretty close to locking up that number three seed. They definitely should get a home playoff game. And then there were a couple of other predictions I had. One was I warned you about Nashville. Nashville has been just surging When we talked about it, they were not in playoff position. I think they were in eighth position in our last webcast. And I said, Nashville is one of the teams I totally expect to make the playoffs. And they have surged. I think they're up to fourth at this point. And they're looking like they'll probably get a home playoff game as well. There's a couple of games left, so you never know. But right now, if the playoffs ended today, they're in that playoff position to get a home game. The other prediction I had for a team that was not in playoff position but going to make the playoffs and I felt would be very dangerous were the Seattle Sounders. That hasn't held up quite as well. Seattle is not in playoff position as of today. So if the playoffs were to start today, the Seattle Sounders, your CONCACAF Champions League champions, would not be in the MLS playoffs. And... Time is running out, so I thought they would be able to pull it out and get into the playoffs and then be very dangerous, and I still think that's possible, but it's looking less likely as we get toward the end of the season that they're going to be able to make up the points they need to get into the playoffs. So we may have a playoff scenario without the Seattle Sounders. They basically went all in on CONCACAF champions, and the points that they dropped doing that are now coming back to hurt them at the end of the year, along with some injuries and other problems. But it does not look like we will see the Seattle Sounders in the playoffs. We still might, but I really don't want to, and here's why. If they get into the playoffs, they're likely to be that number seven seed, and guess who they play in the first round? That would be Austin. I don't want any part of a Seattle Sounders team that manages to make their way into the playoffs at this point. That would mean that they just have an amazing September and beginning of October to make the playoffs, which means they're going to be in great form and their playoff experienced CONCACAF Champions League champions. Did I mention that? So I would not want to be sitting in second place here in Austin, Texas and having the Seattle Sounders, who we've traditionally had a lot of problems defeating anyway, coming in on that first playoff game. So here's hoping that we don't see the Seattle Sounders in the playoffs. It looks like we won't, and that's probably a good thing as far as Austin is concerned. Projecting out, if you see that 2-3 matchup, if both win, guess what? Austin gets Dallas in the next round. The seventh seed is going to be interesting in the first round, though. I still have no idea who it's going to be. That's a lot of teams vying for that position. Could be the Galaxy. Could be Minnesota. If it's Minnesota, it's because they've been sliding in the last month as opposed to one of these teams that's rising. It could be RSL again. RSL, I think, today sits in that seven position. So depending on how the last couple of weeks play out, 
Austin FC has an away game at Vancouver. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to play that game, making the trip all the way up to Vancouver, if they're really going to go all out with the full starting roster or if they're going to rest people. There's an international break coming up. And as I said, they rotated people against Nashville. So it doesn't seem like there's a big advantage to resting people unless it has something to do with injuries. So as I mentioned, Uruti is a little bit banged up. So is Driussi to some extent. So it could be that they start most of the regulars with a couple of substitutions like that. But I guess we'll have to find out. And then the last game of the season is at home against Colorado. Neither Vancouver nor Colorado are world beaters. They are both teams that are not and should not be in the playoffs. I think Colorado has a Hail Mary outside chance of getting into the playoffs if everything were to break their way. But let's be honest, that's not going to happen because Colorado is just not that good. So I think Austin having these two games, again, one point in either of these games locks up the number two seed. I expect them to go full force in that Colorado game, which is why I'm not sure what they're going to do against Vancouver. But I would think at home against Colorado, you're going to see all the starters. Part of the reason I say that is they've announced that they scheduled a friendly game behind closed doors with El Paso Locomotive. I would love to see that game, but again, it's going to be a closed door match. They're doing that during the international break just to not take a week off. They want to keep in shape, keep in form, keep the momentum going and treat it as a normal week, which is what, again, tells me that they probably won't do a rest everybody scenario up in Vancouver. I think it will be most of the starters with maybe one or two exceptions. And then we just set up, wait for a home playoff game at Q2 Stadium in Austin. Kind of like in the other leagues that we mentioned, there's not a lot to talk about in the East. I think Philadelphia is just destroying everybody and it would be a real shock, probably a disappointment if Philadelphia Union didn't make the final. That's my anticipation. That's my expectation anyway. The West, I have no idea because LAFC is looking imminently beatable. Gareth Bale has not been a very strong asset for that team since his signing. And LAFC looks like they're taking a nosedive after being the class of the West for most of the year. The past few weeks tell a different story. So LAFC is imminently beatable. The West is a free-for-all. But the East, I'm expecting the Philadelphia Union to come out on top and make the MLS Cup Final. And we'll see who makes it out of the West, whether it's LAFC or Austin or Dallas or somebody like a Nashville that I think has been surging and playing really good soccer toward the end of the year. I assure you I'll be at the stadium to see these games, the Colorado match and then the playoff home playoff match. And I think that atmosphere is going to be absolutely insane. So as you can probably hear, my voice is about to go out again, and that's going to wrap it up for this quickie episode of Kicking Grass. I would love to hear from everybody on what you want us to cover going forward. I promise to try to have a co-host for our next episode. Shout out to Josh Jackson, Harry Austin, Rob Novak, all who have been co-hosts in the past. 
and any and or all of them you might see back on the show anytime in the near future. But until you do, keep enjoying the beautiful game. And this is Dave Walding, your host, signing off. <laughs>